This is Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Call the show now at 760-480-8477. Email us at officehours at wscal.edu. Now, Scott Clark. Students come to Westminster Seminary, California from across the globe and from a wide variety of backgrounds. Even though they usually graduate affirming Reformed theology, they don't always begin there before seminary. Westminster Seminary, California was an important destination in the journey of Jared Beard, now pastor of Covenant United Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana. A 2011 graduate of Westminster Seminary, California, Jared spent time in a variety of Christian traditions, including classic dispensationalism, on his way to embracing Reformed theology, piety, and practice. This episode is part of our continuing series, Where Are They Now?, where we catch up with our graduates serving the Lord in pastoral ministry and in other vocations. Hi, Jared, and welcome to Office Hours. It's good to be with you. It's great to talk to you, and thank you for making time to be with us here on Office Hours. Let's let the listener catch up a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. You know, where were you born and how did you come to faith? All that stuff. Okay, I was born to a military family, so I was born in North Dakota, but I'm not a Nodak really. We were only there for a few months. And then we moved to Germany, right? Moved all over, but uh raised in Texas. You could probably hear that in my accent. Raised in a moderate Christian family, evangelical Southern Baptist family. Kind of flirted with some Pentecostalism early on, you know, just kind of, you know, seekers. But really, it was my grandmother who, uh, my parents had me at a young age. They were young. And of course, I was at a young age. (laughs) But my parents had me at a young age. And so it was kind of that situation where they pawned me off on grandma. And so grandma really had me a lot of my life. And grandma, my meemaw, (laughs) meemaw raised me in the church. And I really owe, I think, my faith to her. You know, she was Southern Baptist, loved the Lord. So I was raised in a good Southern Baptist traditional church. Went into the Marine Corps right after high school. Tried to keep my faith up in the Marine Corps, but it really fell away in the Marine Corps. And then it was after the Marine Corps that I realized, hey, I need to, you know, get right with the Lord and uh, started attending a church. At that point, I moved to Missoula, Montana, where I'm currently at. And started going to CMA, Christian Missionary Alliance Church, which I kind of tell people it's kind of like Southern Baptists in the uh, north or in the Midwest, northern Midwest or northeast. And uh, really there, it's how I started cutting my teeth on theology in the Bible, but I really didn't, you know, I remember trying to pursue it, but I didn't know where to go and what to read. And I remember asking my pastors, and I remember asking a pastor one time, and he gave me this tape series, and I listened to this tape series. And it was on seeker-sensitive church, how to be a seeker-sensitive church. And so I listened to this thing, consumed it, and it was all about what clothes to wear, you know, if you're inviting someone to church. Like, don't dress too up, don't dress too down, dress somewhere in the middle so you can kind of appeal to all people. There's just stuff like that. And I really just thought, hey, this is good stuff. I guess this is what, I, you know, my pastor gave me this tape series. This is what I'm supposed to pursue. And then I really felt called to the ministry. I always kind of felt called to the ministry, even with my meemaw. She asked me one time what I want to do, and I told her I want to be a minister, and she scolded me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's interesting. I want to pursue that, because one of the reasons why we're doing this series, this Where Are They Now series with our graduates, yeah. is because one of the questions that students and prospective students often ask, maybe the question is, you know, am I called to ministry? How do I know? And there are good books out there. There's Ed Clowney's Called to the Ministry, and there are other things that help students work through that question. But I thought 
it would be really helpful for people to hear the testimony, the story, the narrative of students and graduates and pastors who have worked through that question for themselves. So that's very interesting. So your grandmother, your Mima, in Texas, when you first said you thought you might want to be a pastor, she sort of discouraged you. Why do you think that was? Because she saw that ministers have hard jobs and don't make any money. (laughs) She wanted me to be financially successful. So she kind of scolded me and like, no, you don't want to do that. You need to pursue other work. And so I kind of kept it quiet because I was like, what? I couldn't believe she scolded me. You know, she was the first person I confessed my internal call to. And it was just over time, you know, with that internal call, it never really went away. There was a sense in which I thought I wasn't good enough. So I remember being in the CMA thinking, I want to do what he does, what the pastor does. I want to minister to people. And so I got involved in small group studies and started leading them. I remember not knowing what to do. So I would literally just listen to the Christian radio station and just take notes from whomever was speaking, like Chuck Smith or someone, you know, and then I would just go regurgitate (laughs) and uh, regurgitate what I was hearing on the radio because I wanted to lead people. I wanted to guide people into the truth and disciple and so forth. That is one of the most common answers that I get to the question is I saw my pastor doing it and I wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to teach people. I wanted to disciple people. I wanted to, you know, exposit the scriptures. Mm -hmm. So that's so interesting that that answer comes up so frequently. How old were you when you began to have that consciousness, not just that you wanted to be a pastor, but that you looked at your pastor and said, I want to do that? Probably my early 20s, 22, 23. I would hear a good sermon and thought, man, I want to do that. Or I'd hear a bad one and I would think, I think I could do better, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, were you in the Marine Corps when you were thinking this? Because you said you went into the Marines right after high school. Thank you for your service, by the way. Oh, yeah. No, in the Marine Corps, I tried to lead guys. I tried to lean on David because David was a warrior, you know, and we were warriors. And I remember in my first duty station in Okinawa, Japan, you know, in the barracks trying to lead guys. Hey, you guys want to study the life of David and so forth? He was a warrior for the Lord, you know, a warrior. And so... (laughs) didn't get any response. And the Marine Corps kind of pushes you in another direction. (laughs) Sure. There's a culture. There is a culture. And I got consumed by that culture. And so it was basically when I got out, really just kind of looking at my life and decided I needed to go the right direction with the Lord. And yeah. How long were you in? Four years. I did my four years and got out. And what drew you to Missoula? I got out of the Marine Corps and I was going to go to East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, moved to Greenville, got everything in order, got to campus. And I literally got out of the Marine Corps like on a Friday and went to campus on Monday. And it was like I freaked out. I had an anxiety attack. Like it wasn't PTSD, but something similar because I go from, you know, Marine Corps structure one way one culture to this exact opposite, and it freaked me out. I didn't even get out of my car. Oh, interesting. (laughs) I pulled up to campus, saw the students, saw the campus life kind of going on right before my eyes, and I freaked out, and I left. And then I kind of just became a hermit, you know, and trying to just figure out how to do life as a civilian, and then decided, hey, I want to move out west. I've never lived out west. I've been out west when I was in the Marine Corps, like to California. You go to Dukakis, the desert training there in 29 Palms. But I thought, I want to experience Western America. And so I literally just looked on a map and uh, saw Missoula, Montana. It looked like a large city in Montana, and it had the mountains all around it. And so that's how I picked it. I was like, oh, that's a nice-sized city in Montana with mountains all around it. And I just moved. I just left. (laughs) 
I was young and I just picked up and moved out to Montana. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Where did you go to university then? When I came to Missoula, I basically wanted to attend university. I did take a course at the University of Montana, and then eventually my pastor encouraged me to go to Moody Bible Institute. So long story short, I met my wife. Yeah, I met my wife, and we moved to Chicago. Now you're back in Chicago. Yep. And it's at Chicago is when I really, at Moody is when I really started cutting my teeth on the Bible and theology there. You know, I started like learning about systematic theology and, you know, all the theologies. And I majored in Bible with an emphasis in Greek. And so I learned the Greek New Testament at Moody, which really helped me when I got to seminary. I had a leg up on everyone because I studied it for four years (laughs) rather than, you know, the crash course in uh, summer Greek. So I went to Moody Bible, and it was at Moody Bible that I got exposed to, you know, different traditions and the idea that there are other traditions, which I, you know, I scratched my head over because I just thought we were all Christian, but kind of started recognizing other traditions, found this Calvinistic tradition, had some professors there that leaned towards Calvin and their soteriology, really hardcore classical dispensationalists at this time, which I affirmed, but started becoming interested in Reformed theology. And then I took a class with a professor, uh, one-on-one class with a professor, and he had me read uh, Herman Bovink's uh, Prolegomena. And I just, I loved it. I thought it was like the greatest thing ever. And so I just kind of got started getting interested in this uh, reform thing, this reform dogmatics and reading reformed guys, got my hands on, you know, Horton stuff and others, and just started really consuming Reformed theology, but still wanted to be dispensationalist. And so at that time, I actually joined the IFCA, the Independent Fundamentalist Church in America, which is actually where John MacArthur holds his ordination is through the IFCA. And so I thought, well, I like this John MacArthur guy. I'm just going to go with his denomination. So church is an IFCA, it's just independent there at uh, Grace Community, but his ordination is, uh, his credentials are in the IFCA. So I basically thought, you know, I want Reformed theology, but I want to be dispensationalist. I want to be particularly a classical dispensationalist. So I went to, after Moody, after graduating Moody, I went to the Master's Seminary. So you came out West after having read some Bob Inc., but you're still trying to sort of hold these two things together. Your interest in Reformed theology, but your interest in, in dispensationalism. What was it when you were reading Bob Inc. that captured your imagination so? Uh, what captured my imagination, Bob Inc., just, that's a good question. You know, the idea of that tradition of thinking God's thoughts after him and so forth, the idea of God's complete sovereignty and like trust in God and basically asking those epistemological questions, because that's what prolegomena is doing. And I just kind of liked those answers. And I think there was a consistency there because when you go to a dispensational seminary, they teach you this theology. It's hodgepodge. It's kind of like pieced together, but there's no like consistent whole. But when you read a guy like Bavink or others or Burkhoff, you know, you see a consistent tradition. And uh, I think I really liked that. And so when I was at a dispensational seminary, I got disenfranchised with, I've always had these struggles with classical dispensationalism. Even when I was like a very hardcore, you know, militant dispensationalist, there's always things I didn't want to talk about. (laughs) Okay, that's interesting. You know, and leaving aside institutional names and personalities, what was it about dispensationalism that troubled you? Because I know there is a listener who's wrestling with that right now. 
I struggled with, well, you know, the rebuilding of the temple, right? The 2000 year and then, you know, the rebuilding of the temple and the offering of sacrifices. So the rebuilding of the temple is bad enough, but then you got these sacrifices and I'm like, what's going on here? Professors will say, you know, they're just types. Don't worry about it. But I'm like, yeah, but isn't Christ there? (laughs) Like, why the shadow? When I have the reality, like, why do I got to stare at the shadow when the reality is right there, right? Like, I always struggle with that. I also really struggle with the question of the death of infants and so forth. That's not so much uh, eschatological questions, but those are important practical questions because I want to be a minister. How do I answer some of these questions? And it's like, I think I'm just going to answer like the Reformed guys, even though I'm not being consistent. I'm just going to say, hey, you know. I'm just going to answer as I answer today. And so stuff like that I was more comfortable with and uncomfortable with the rebuilding of the types and the shadows and so forth. So, And then also just a lot of the arguments. In dispensationalism, there's no like consistency. There's just so much. It's like, are you a mid-trib, a pre-trib, a post-trib? And so we had all those arguments at Moody, and I never really even knew where I landed. You know, I'd listen to one guy, I'm there. I'm listening to another guy, I'm over there. I never had this like consistent view on my views of tribulation and so forth. It sounds like you were talking about trying to find not just consistency for its own sake, but a ground, a solid place to stand. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. And that's literally what led me out of classical dispensationalism and into Reformed theology. And even embracing infant baptism, I kind of embraced infant baptism in a different way, more of an Anselmian way. You know, I believe I'll seek an understanding. (laughs) So I read uh, Keith Matheson's Shape of Sola Scripture, and it totally, I think with my reading of Bavink and Prolegomena, and just very interested in epistemology in college, and then reading Shape of Sola Scripture, I had an aha moment where I realized that I, you know, according to Shape of Sola Scripture, was following the solo tradition, not the sola tradition. And you know, there's no certainty in my own reading and my own private interpretation when I could have the certainty of belonging to a tradition that's founded with these creeds and these confessions. And so I had this aha moment. I remember I came home and told my wife and I said, hey, we're Presbyterian now. (laughs) (laughs) And how did she respond to that announcement? She's like, what do you mean, Presbyterian? The whole way? Like, like, yes, infant baptism. And she's like, well, you got to explain that to me. I said, I don't know it. (laughs) I don't know the argument, but I believe it. And we're going to find out the answers. (laughs) So you're thinking about seminary, but you're asking yourself, where will I live in Escondido? Westminster Seminary, California has good news. We're building a place for you to live on campus. In the spring of 2018, we'll open a new residential village of eight residential buildings, 64 apartments, including one, two, and three bedroom units, and a commons where seminary families can fellowship together. Here's Joel Kim, president of Westminster Seminary, California, on the benefits of our new residential village. Escondido is a beautiful place in which to live, but students wonder if they've actually afforded. Our goal is to benefit the students by providing a beautiful but affordable place to live on campus. In addition, we believe that learning happens not only in the classroom, but also by living together in community. Just as lifelong learning begins in the classroom, so lifelong relationships will begin in our new residential village. For more information, call toll-free 888-480-8474. That's 888-480-8474. Or visit us online at wscal.edu. That's wscal.edu. And ask us about our new residential village. wscal.edu. 
480-8474. Westminster Seminary, California. For Christ, His Gospel, and His Church. Okay, well, there is something there, and isn't it the case that what you're really talking about is a kind of intuition that sort of under the surface, you're beginning to put some pieces together. You can't articulate it yet, and you haven't done enough reading and haven't had enough time to reflect and haven't really even seen how consciously how all the scriptures fit together this way, but a light went on and things clicked, and at some level, you've begun to do this. Isn't that kind of what that means? Yeah. I remember I went back to my first seminary and I just started really getting frustrated with all my classes. And I remember at one point, a professor in good dispensational fashion argued that the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament were efficacious for sins. And all these hands shot up in class, right? Or rightly so. All these arms go up. Basically, people were challenging that. And he basically said, you know, read the New Testament back in the Old Testament. What did this, you know, Jewish guy think when he went to the tabernacle, when he went to the temple and the priest said, lay your hand, you know, for the forgiveness of your sins on this animal, you know, that's all you got. You can only read that text, right? You can't add another text, a future text onto this text. You can't read the Bible backwards. You can only read it going forward. And so with some kind of principle of periodicity, I don't know or what, but he basically argued that at that point, this person believed and that belief in laying on of that animal at that point in time, God was offering the forgiveness of sins through that instrument or through that means. And I argued with a professor and I remember I just left the class and probably very rudely just slammed the door on the class. And I actually went and dropped that class. I went to the registrar's office and dropped the class. And uh, eventually started dropping all my classes to where I really only had, I was only in like one class. So I was just really frustrated with the school and the system and the tradition. At this point, I found on the board a Presbyterian church looking for an intern, a paid internship. So I thought, hey, I want to be Presbyterian. Here's a paid internship. So I called up this thing called the KAPC and realized that it was the Korean American Presbyterian Church. So I actually went into an interview and uh, yeah, they gave me the internship. And so I joined the KAPC. So that was my first exposure to uh, the Reformed world was through the Korean American Presbyterian Church. That's a remarkable story. So you're an intern in a KAPC, which is an interesting entrance into Reformed Christianity for a guy who's not Korean. That's interesting and unusual. And uh, you also found your way to Westminster Seminary, California. Why did you come here? I came to Westminster Seminary, California, because I remember at Moody Bible Institute, Westminster was there at one of the conferences, and uh, I remember the uh, table. And on the table, it had, <laughs> this is God's providence, it had Herman Bavink's Reformed Dogmatics, and it had the Prolegomena, which I was reading. And I said, hey, I'm reading this guy. I like this guy. And I remember Brian, I think was his name. Was it Brian Mills? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Brian Mills said, we use this at seminary. And I was like, these are textbooks? <laughs> 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 and he was like, yeah, you know, because our textbooks were, uh, you know, basically all we used was Wayne Grudem. And so here at Westminster, there's a table of like, you know, all these older works. And I knew of some of them, and I was reading Bob Inc., so I thought, I like this. That's very interesting. Westminster was always kind of in the back of my mind. I remember when I went to Dallas, and I checked out the Westminster Satellite Campus in Dallas. That's an interesting story there. I went in the library, and I talked to this gentleman named Ferguson forever. I had no <laughs> clue who he was, but he was just this nice Scottish gentleman, you know, in this library. 
And I probably talked to him for like an hour in the library. I had no clue. So I wasn't a fanboy or anything. You know, it wasn't awkward. He was just a librarian. I thought he was a librarian. <laughs> <laughs> Later on, I find out, I was like, oh, this guy's kind of a heavy yeah. hitter. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, that's Sinclair. He is a gracious and lovely guy. So I'm not at all surprised he sat and talked to you. Yeah. And he knew exactly you didn't know who he was at all. And that probably delighted him even more. Yeah, at one point I said, I'm interested in the school, but I'm a dispensationalist. And he said, that's fine. You know, you could come here. And and he jokingly said, and, and we'll change your mind on that. You know? <laughs> but yeah, so Westminster was kind of always there in the back of my mind. And I started looking into the school. I started reading the Heidel blog. You know, I started reading the Riddle blog. And I started consuming all of Horton's work. Well, not all of Horton's work. That would take forever. <laughs> consuming some of Horton, you know, some of his very popular stuff that I could read at this point in time in my abilities. But my wife and I, we were just very, we were very poor at this time. And we had moved from Chicago all the way to California. We didn't have the money. I didn't think I would ever be able to leave. I thought I'm going to have to stay here at this uh, dispensational school. But in this internship, I started, they really liked me in the KAPC. And they've moved me up from, uh, I was doing, my internship was with the children, like uh, kindergarten through third grade. And then eventually they called me to be the uh, John Dosanim, the uh, young adult intern, young adult pastor. So I became the John Dosanim and um, I started basically just preaching and leading. Basically, it was like a, a young, it was just a church of young adults, really, because in the Korean American Presbyterian Church, you have two congregations. You have like the English speaking congregation and the Korean speaking. And I was basically in charge of the English speaking congregation. And over time, I remember at a session meeting, they basically said, hey, if you go to a reform school, we'll pay for it. And so I was like, boom, that's it. I'm going to Westminster. <laughs> <laughs> so I loved Daehong Presbyterian Church, and they really blessed me and allowed me to go to Westminster Seminary, California, and paid for my education while I was there. And I ended up leaving the KAPC. It was really difficult because this was in Gardena, California. My wife ended up staying in Gardena, California, and then I rented a room from a PCA family in Escondido, and we were traveling back and forth, and it just became too difficult. And there was a lot of difficulty in the fact that I'm not Korean speaking. And uh, it's very interesting that in the K8, or at least the KPC that I was in, you know, a lot of those generations that have come over, they still don't really speak English. And even my pastor, the Muksanim, as he's called, the big guy, the big pastor, he didn't really speak English very well. And so there wasn't much for me to gain as an intern in that sense, the wisdom from this session and so forth, because they didn't really speak English that well. And so over time, I just realized that perhaps it'd be best if I just went in the reform direction where I could, you know, be around English speaking peoples, basically, and not have the drive. And so I eventually left the KAPC and uh, went into the URCNA. So. Yeah, which is the United Reformed Churches in North America, where you're pastoring now in Missoula. You're listening to Office Hours, and we're talking with Reverend Jared Beard, who's pastor of Covenant United Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, 2011 graduate of Westminster Seminary, California. So you get to Escondido, and now you're in a Reformed and Presbyterian confessional seminary and setting. How did you find it? Did it meet your expectations? Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> My first class was a winter room with a guy named D.G. Hart. Machen in Modernism. So that was my very first class at Westminster Seminary, California. And I just loved it. I just thought it was great. And I just couldn't wait for more. And then the semester took on and I started taking, you know, all these classes, Christian Mind and New Testament and Old Testament. I loved how the school used, because, you know, my background was the New Testament at Moody. 
And I loved how the school actually used the New Testament in its classes. Like it just wasn't like, hey, we're going to learn these languages and we'll kind of play with them maybe a little bit while you're here. It's like, no, turn into your, you know, (laughs) your Greek Bible or your Hebrew Bible. And the tests, the tests would have Greek and Hebrew that you had to translate for these classes. It was just part of the curriculum. And I really appreciated that. And I just really appreciated the scholarship. And I really appreciated that a lot of the seminaries will use our grads. How should I say this? A lot of schools use our guys. But in my mind, if I'm going to choose a school, I want to go to the source. <laughs> like, why go to a class where some professor uses Horton systematic theology when I can go to hear Horton <laughs> and use his systematic theology? So I really like that. I like that we have that tradition, even going back to Westminster, even Philly and so forth, and that kind of tradition that we come from uh, going back all the way to Princeton, I should argue, really. So, yeah. Because back then, right, all the seminaries used those guys too, right? So it's like, why would I go to this Beckwood seminary when I can go to Princeton? Or why would I go to this other seminary when I can go to with this, uh, Westminster? And so I think it's the same with Westminster Seminary, California. So I always liked that. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. So you embrace Reformed theology, piety, and practice while you're here. You candidate for a ministerial position. You become a candidate. You go through the uh, classical examinations, and uh, you completed them well. You did well, and you become a candidate. How did you end up back in Missoula? It's not always possible to end up in your sort of adopted hometown, but you did. Never thought I would. I came back home after we were reformed in the Presbyterian world, and we were back home in Missoula. At that point in time, I have family here. My wife has family. So we would come here, my wife and I, at least once every two years to see family. And we were here, and I thought, hey, let's see if there's a reformed church in Missoula. Looked on the internet, didn't find anything. But then I pulled out a phone book, and there was an Orthodox Presbyterian church in the phone book. Called them up, talked to the minister, Ron McKenzie, which uh, influential in your life. Yeah. Pastor Ron McKenzie, longtime OPC pastor, pastor of Bend, Oregon, and then a church planter in Missoula. Yeah. So met up with Ron, went and sat on that same couch I think you sat on when you were a young person. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, eventually got a relationship with Ron because I was a licentiate and OPC recognizes the URCNA uh, licentiate. So I started exhorting. I exhorted in the OPC here in Missoula, Montana. Garden City uh, Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and it's kind of started having dialogues with uh, Reverend McKenzie on potentially leaving the URCNA and joining the OPC. And so I kind of gave that some thought because there was an opportunity here in Missoula that just kind of opened up. And I thought, hey, that would be great. I know the area. I know the people. There's a church here and Reverend McKenzie will retire soon. And uh, long story short, he got injured, I think in like 09 or 10. I can't remember the dates exactly, but He graciously called me up and said, don't worry about what we talked about, join the OPC or whatever, because this church in Missoula is dissolved. And I was kind of heartbroken for the church here in Missoula because it was the only one. It's kind of a sad story of all the Reformed churches in Montana. At one point, you know, there were several OPCs in uh, Montana, and there's none now, which is kind of heartbreaking. Mm. And so I basically told my wife, like, hey, maybe the URCNA might be willing to take this up. And I happened to be going to Belgrade, Montana, where we have Belgrade United Reformed Church to exhort there. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to bring this up to them and see if they would be interested, because according to our church order, you know, the closest willing church would have to oversee something like that, a, a church plant. And so I told my wife, I said, hey, I'll ask these guys if they're willing 
And I actually told my wife, I said, they got to be very excited or because if they're just barely willing, I don't want to do it. I want like super excitement or else, you know, and I went in and I told them about the opportunity and they were super excited. And actually, that excitement hasn't died down. Uh, Belgrade's been super to Missoula and Art's help and its care and encouragement and giving and serving here. And so they took over and they said, yeah, I'd be the guy. And so they started having me come up once a month to lead Bible studies. And I graduated and then we moved up here with my family and the rest is history. We've been here since 2011. And how have you found pastoral ministry? You're a church planter and you're doing it right out of seminary. How well prepared were you for what you were getting into? Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, the Lord blessed me not only with a good education and the education at Westminster totally prepared me to be able to exposit, open up God's word and preach and teach it. And I do a Thursday night study in theology, which I think has been very valuable to our church. It's kind of a way to get the evangelicals into your church, but not in Sunday, because a lot of times when they come on Sunday, it's just too foreign to them. They're uncomfortable, especially when you're a church plant because you're small. So it's small, which is uncomfortable, especially if you have kids, you bring your kids in, you know, and you're going to have to sit your kids through the service and your kids aren't trained to sit through a service. So it can be very uncomfortable coming from the outside into the inside of the Reformed world with liturgy and so forth and our piety and practice, right? And not in our theology. And so at least the Thursday night study gets them excited about our theology, and they kind of start hearing and seeing our piety, you know, and then we can tell them about our practices and we can get them excited for that. And so then it's a good segue into Sunday. So it's not so foreign. And the guys that have done that, the families that have done that, they have stuck. Like all the families that have come through my Thursday night study and did that for a semester and then finally said, yeah, I want to try this church. Every one of them have stuck around. So I've had a really, you know, a good percentage rate, you know, through that Thursday night study. And it's really the Westminster that prepared me to be able to teach at that level and to be uh, one who can uh, guide people and stuff through uh, our theology. So I just basically pick various theological topics. I do a history of theology every fall. I'm doing that currently right now and then doing the ancient church right now. And then in the spring, I do more systematic type stuff and uh, our biblical theology and the people just eat it up. They love it. And it's all because of my uh, education at Westminster Seminary, California, that I can do that. I have heard some of your sermons online. They're uh, available online. Give us the web address. MissoulaURC.com. Uh, MissoulaURC.com. And I've listened to some of those sermons, and I have been blessed. It's been edifying. And one of the things I notice is that you follow the text closely, and you interpret the text in context, and both the narrow and the broader, and that you lead us through the text to Christ. Why do you think that's so important? And why is that a principle of your ministry and a practice of your ministry? Well, it's interesting. Some of the guys that I liked when I was a dispensationalist, like uh, S. Lewis Johnson and some of these other uh, ministers, I love their preaching style. I love that exposition, that verse by verse. I'm not saying that the Reformed don't do that. They do. But there was always this emphasis in the tradition that I was kind of in the um, dispensational world. Basically, all they're missing, a lot of those guys that are really good, they're just basically missing covenant theology yeah. <laughs> and a law gospel distinction. And if they get that, if they get covenant theology, a law gospel distinction, some of these guys that, you know, could be just brilliant ministers. So I just thought, you know, I want to do that. I want to preach like S. Lewis Johnson and some of these other dispensational guys, but I want to do so as a reformed Christian and recognizing that the people are gathering for the means of grace, because that's a problem that's missing in the dispensational world. You know, the church gathers basically to be instructed, to be taught, but they don't gather for this means of grace. 
And so I want to be a minister who preaches that style, that way. I like it. It's just personally my taste. My idea of preaching is like, what would I want to hear? If I was a layperson sitting in the pew, listening to the sermon, what do I want to hear? That's kind of how I go about my preaching. You know, I want to hear God's word. I want to go, you know, verse by verse, phrase by phrase, clause by clause or whatever. Obviously not getting caught up in the details too much because that could be a problem. That's somewhat of a problem in some of those traditions, right? You're so focused on the tree that you forget the forest. So I don't want to do that. But I do want to go just, you know, exposit verse by verse and so forth. And really just the focus is uh, the gospel, right? I want to preach Christ from all the scriptures, which Westminster just has taught me to do so well. I think that's one of the greatest blessings of Westminster is that it taught me how to preach Christ from all the scriptures and him we proclaim, you know, and that needs to be the focus. If we want to be mature, as Colossians 2 says, and we want to be mature as Christians and grow in our faith and we proclaim Christ. And I think that's what Westminster does really well. It teaches us how to preach Christ from all the scriptures. Because at the end of the day, that's what my calling is, right? I'm a minister of word and sacraments, and Christ is the essence of that ministry. And so that's what I want to give people, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would tell anyone thinking about school, that's what they need to be thinking about. If they're called to the ministry, they're called to preach Christ and Him crucified. And so you need to go to the school that will prepare you best to preach Christ and Him crucified from all the scriptures, right? Not just during Christmas or Easter <laughs> with your limited text, but from all the scripture. And I think that's what Westminster does really well without falling into like weird allegory where you're saying, well, this reminds me of that. And so, hey, I'll preach this because it reminds me of that or something like that. But truly preaching Christ rightly from all the scriptures and the school is excellent. That's what the school does well. Thanks for listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now to Office Hours in iTunes. Find all the shows at wscal.edu slash office hours. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved.